Thanks for tuning in to the Goop podcast, made possible by our friends at Porsche. This fall, we had the opportunity to team up with Porsche for InGoop Health, our wellness summit. If you haven't been, InGoop Health is a day full of thought-provoking conversations, inspiring experts, curiosity, and community. Like Goop, Porsche is intent on inspiring people to explore their dreams and potential. Their brand was founded on a dream, and they believe that there is no dream too big or too small. Dr. Ferry Porsche couldn't find the car he desired, so he built it himself. Every detail in a Porsche, from the left-handed ignition to the flared front fenders, serves a purpose. To learn more about how passion can turn dreams into reality, follow Porsche and their hashtag, NoSmallDreams. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. (laughs) Did you hear about that? (laughs) I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected, and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive, on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. I've been eager to get today's guest on this podcast for a very long time. Stanley Tucci is an award-winning actor, writer, director, and best-selling author. He's also the host of Searching for Italy, the CNN documentary series he filmed while still recovering from cancer. Today we talked about the sublime and transcendent places food can take us and how food is the guiding light of Stanley's life. We talked about threading together different passions and the impetus behind Stanley's new memoir, Taste. Stanley lives in London, so we of course also talked about our favorite restaurants there. And in true form, he even shared a Bolognese recipe. So let's get to my chat with Stanley Tucci. I'm so excited for this. (laughs) Oh, Gwyneth, my God, me too. Put your phone on silent. I am. I'm doing it now. I've just gotten to my in-law's house. Where? In London and a mile and a half away from our house. What neighborhood are you in? Barnes, Southwest. Oh, okay. Do you live there? Yeah. For how long? Eight years. Oh my God. You traded expat status with me. I left and you went. I know. How long were you here? It's sort of hard to calculate, but I think I lived in London. I mean, it's interesting because when I was like 22, I started this run of doing like 10 movies and a play there. Yeah. And then I moved there permanently in 2002. And I came back to LA in like 2012. So a good 10 years plus all the... So I was there for a long, long time. Are you in LA now or are you, no, you're in New York, right? Or I'm not in New York, if you can believe. So essentially when we were, when we were moving back, Chris and I were separating and we hadn't told people yet, but he said, you know, 
I think we should go home. He was very sweet and said, I think you, we should go home to America for you. You know, you've been here for a long time. And we're going to separate and everything. And right. so I thought that meant obviously return to New York city. And he just kind of said, like, I would love to be somewhere with more space and more sun. And so we landed on LA and I hadn't lived here, you know, in decades. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it had changed quite a lot in a great way. And I've, I've been really happy here. It's been a great run. Oh, good. And good for the kids. I think really good for the kids. I yeah. think they're, they've, they've had a good, I love that they were in London for half the time. Yeah. I think it's, you know, how, how, how what about you? How old are you? You have so many kids. I mean, I can't even keep track, but you have two little ones, right? Yes, I do. How old are they? I have no idea, Gwen. <laughs> they're they're six, they're six and four, and they're so they're gorgeous. fully British. They have British accents. Oh everything. my God, they're so Brit. They couldn't be more British. They're more posh than uh, certainly Felicity, who's, who's almost posh. But uh, Matteo sometimes sounds like he's been living in you know fucking Windsor Castle for you know. It's just weird. It's so weird. <laughs> where are they so getting crazy. that I love it. I love where it. are they getting the super posh from school i don't know no i don't know they just sort of came out that way i it's like funny. it yeah it's good yeah it's good it's good yeah and do they do they keep ties to america do you come back to new york for no i don't no i don't i don't have a place there i don't know my parents are in florida they moved to florida after we moved from westchester so i bought a and place they're not even there. jewish yeah. And they're not even Jewish. They're so not Jewish. Whereas Maurice Sendak said, I always thought Italians were happy Jews. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. But yeah, no, but my parents, yeah, they're there. But we, we, don't, we don't really go to America. So you're fully I, committed I, I, to I, the... Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't have a place there or anything. No. And how, how do you find it? I love it. I couldn't be happier. It's like where I was supposed to live, but I didn't know it. What do you like about being an expat specifically? It's not so much about being an expat. It's just about being comfortable in an environment. Mm. And I feel very comfortable here because for me, it's about the environment. And it's about, I like the weather with the exception that I miss winter. I love winter. But they also, you know, it's like, you know, it's... It's an incredibly sophisticated city with with a profound sense of history. Mm. The fact that the that the Romans founded it is kind of cool. Very on theme. Yes, I think so. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I just want to say I'm very happy to talk to you, and also I'm so just proud isn't the word, but very. I just think you're amazing. Oh. I do. I think, first of all, we, I know you're a great actress and always have been, but I think what you're doing is really cool and great. Thank you. For whatever that's worth, it's great. Thank you very much. That means a lot to me. Babe, come on. It does, because it was, you know, a weird, a weird right turn to me. Yeah, yeah um, but it's good. But it's it was good. really fulfilling my my real passion, you know? Yeah. I think what where I would love to start is just picking up on what you just talked about, which is kind of like giving yourself or myself the latitude to go into other things and pursue other interests. And it seems like, I know with 
big night and Julia and Julia, there was sort of this laddering of passion around food with acting, but it sort of seems like you can relate to me in the way that you have this other enormous passion, like a guiding light. That's not your day job of being a movie star that you're pursuing with, you know, and you have, right. You've got your book, but I remember reading that script and like salivating over the way that the lasagna was being prepared and the sauce and, and it's the most like visceral food movie or one of them. I mean, there are a few in the film lexicon, yeah, but yeah, yeah. how did these things, I mean, I know that you're, you lived in Italy for a year and, and your parent, your mom was an amazing cook, but how did you decide to sort of amplify your love and interest for food into this other career or this other kind of special part of you? Well, I think it happened sort of accidentally, really. I mean, Big Night was, I wanted to tell a story. I wanted to tell, and I wrote about this in the book, that I, I just wanted to tell a story about the role of the artist in society. And this sounds so fucking pretentious, but <laughs> no, the role of the artist in society and and the struggle between commerce and art. And if you do that with an artist, a visual artist, you're what you're doing is you're telling a story that is not necessarily accessible to everyone because i think the statistics are something like you know less than one percent of people have any real interest or understanding of contemporary art however there are so many there are millions and millions of people who go to museums every year but i think it, it's thought of as a rarefied thing food however is a visceral thing and a thing that we all love and connect with. So if, if the chef is the artist and his front man, the secondo, is the person who's more interested in the commercial aspect of it, then we innately have that, that sort of dichotomy and that tension right there. And that was it. Was it was our intention to make a food movie? No, not at all. Not at all. It was just a story about those two people. But we also wanted to show, you know, Italian immigrants in, in a way that didn't include the mafia and and then create a character driven story that that had an ambiguous ending. So mm -hmm. those were the sort of basic tenets that we were trying to adhere to and achieve. In the end, I think we, we did achieve them. Although when I look at the movie, which I can't. It, you know, you just want to change everything. Right. But, but I think what we ended up making was this kind of this quintessential food movie. Yeah. Because, because we didn't try to make a food movie. Mm. We've seen the results of people trying to make food movies and they're terrible. <laughs> because they try to titillize you and tantalize you and gustatorize you. And they're just fucking awful, you know. <laughs> Because they, ha it has to come from you know, it just has to come from the truth of it. That's all. Mm, absolutely. And then, do you was that? Did that become sort of because it was a successful food movie? Did it sort of serve to have you think? Well, what are the other ways that I can film food or yeah. I know write about yeah. food? I, I became more interested in food 
than ever. And I realized that it had this really big impact on, on people. I'd go into a restaurant. It could be an Egyptian restaurant. It could be a fucking whatever restaurant. <laughs> and they'd go, oh, you told my story. And then you realize that, obviously, it's all what we had hoped was that it, it is universal. Mm. But it's universal because it's so specific. The more universal you try to make something, the less meaning it has. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the less impact it has. The more specific something is, the more universal it becomes. We'll get right back to the chat. I was thrilled to bring back our InGoop Health Wellness Summit this November. Even after many summits in multiple cities, it's still surreal to see this big dream brought to life. I always learn something new from the experts that I get to interview on stage, and I find myself thinking a little differently and more expansively after each one. This year, we teamed up with Portia to explore a topic that is integral to both Goop and Portia. We wanted to learn about what drives us. We approached Summit with the intention of exploring and engaging with our dreams and desires. We were excited to collaborate with Porsche for a number of reasons, but what we most appreciated about the Porsche team was how they were equally open-minded and curious about what moves us individually and collectively. Through the process, we also learned more about their brand story. Porsche itself was founded when Dr. Ferry Porsche couldn't find the car he wanted, so he built the car of his dreams. That's why every detail in a Porsche serves a purpose. For Porsche, form follows function and the form is always beautiful. I'm grateful that we were able to reimagine in Goop Health in a big way with Portia. The day was full of inspiring events, creativity, joy, and new experiences that we hope prepared the mind and body to dream a little bigger. Follow Portia and their hashtag, NoSmallDreams, to learn more. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. What do you think happens in that moment when someone who really loves food like you or like I, for example, yeah. what is happening when you are biting into the perfect thing and are overwhelmed with lust and pleasure and like, what is the thing that becomes addictive and what, what is the pursuit then? I don't know if the pursuit is perfection. You know, it's like anything. It's like acting. You you can't. There's no such thing as perfection, right? There's no. It's fucking stupid. But the pursuit is kind of digging deeper, and the deeper you dig, the less perfect things are, and then you have to find as close to perfect as you can get, and then it starts all over again. Otherwise, mm-hmm. one just rests on one's laurels and And that's that's boring and what happens in that moment for you when you eat something perfect it's like i don't know i mean you know it's like (laughs) it's like when you're you know when you love someone and you're making love to someone that you love or you know it sounds terrible but you're just in the company of people that you love it takes over every single part of your organism mm-hmm. right doesn't it yeah every sense every sense and even senses you didn't even know you had <laughs> that's what it does and it it makes a connection to you 
but it also makes a connection with the other person or the other people at the table. So it's everything. It's sex, it's love, it's art, it's, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. It's everything. Yeah. It's your past, it's your future, it's everything. And it's weird. But, you know, but there are certain people who have no, who have no interest in, you know, you have to be a kind of gustatory person or, or a, a sort of kinesthetic person to, to have that or an olfactory person to really have that all, all that stuff happen. You know what I mean? I remember seeing this interview with Dick Cheney. I mean, you know, the devil. And someone asked him, what's your favorite food? And there was a huge pause. He goes, spaghetti or something. And I thought, well, now I hate him even more. (laughs) You can be, you can be a really awful person and have a great appreciation for food. And then you might have some redeeming qualities. But I just think that 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 aspect of ourselves is sort of squelched. Is that the word? I think it's not encouraged when we're young. Mm. It's a, a feeding kids is a necessary thing. We just feed them whatever. We don't really encourage their taste, just like we don't encourage their artistic selves. Mm. So they're part and parcel of the same thing. And I think that were we to spend more time feeding people properly, as opposed to teaching the mathematics, it, it, we might have a much healthier society. <laughs> well, there's actually science behind that. And you know, density of nutrients and brain development and yes, without question. Do you think you could be very close friends with or be in love with somebody that didn't love food? I could not be in love with someone who who doesn't love food. But I am close friends with people who don't love food. I had to break up with a friend once because she didn't like food. I just thought I just broke up with her. This is not my type of friend. Yeah, it's hard. There were other. I, I chastise my friends who. Yeah. Who don't. Yeah, and they're and they're both men and women who just don't. They're not into it. No, they don't get it. Yeah. But I love them. Yeah. You know. What's like your favorite kind of flavor profile? Do you like? Sweet stuff, salty umami stuff. Like, what's your salty umami? So like Parmesan and yeah, yeah. Me too. I don't like sweet stuff. Me neither. Fuck that. Right. It's that. Kind of gross. It kind of grosses me out. I agree. Yeah. Look at you. Look so lovely, and your lighting and everything. And I look like a cadaver. That's not true at all. When I'm watching your show on CNN, yeah, like you are hot. I wasn't. I wasn't fishing. I'm just telling you. Fishing. No. I was going to bring that up later. I've lived my whole life to hear you say those words. (laughs) (laughs) I swear that the jackets, the blue linen, the tailoring, the pants. Come on. You know, it's it's, all happening. It's all cheap stuff, really. Well, it's just, you know, if it fits, it's fine. (laughs) So tell me, ask me anything you want or, or tell me something about yourself that no one else knows. That was a joke and I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, now I'm thinking though, but I'm like, no, this is, I'm, no, yeah. Don't, no. yeah. So. Okay. So I do want to ask you about going through oral cancer yeah. 
obviously, you know, my dad went through it. His outcome was less positive than yours. What, what kind did you have? If I can ask, I had, I had a squamous small cell carcinoma. That's what uh, my dad had too. Which was from the HPV 16 virus. Yeah. Is that what he had? Yeah. He had squamous cell as well. Yeah. Mm And when when was at what diagnosed? point was he diagnosed? Sorry, but no, not at all. He was diagnosed. I'll never forget it. I was actually doing a film called The Talented Mr. Ripley. In, yes, of course. And so this was probably 1998. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I went to Paris. I had like a chunk of days off. I went to Paris and I was told that they had found it. It was stage four. And then I was able to fly home after the operation, but he had, you know, obviously this is a while ago, so it was a different protocol. Oh, and he very this, different. Yeah. Yeah. He, they, so, went, they did a well, radical neck dissection and all that. I'm so sorry. how did they find it? Well, I had this terrible pain when I was shooting something in LA and, and I went back and I got a scan, but the scan didn't hit, find the right place. I almost blame myself for that because I was in such a hurry. Yeah. I thought, come on, I don't want but to. Where was the pain? Here, right okay. in my jaw, right right here. And I had a tooth removed because we thought it was something to do with the tooth, and, and, which only exacerbated the situation. And then it just got progressively worse. The problem was, in a way, that I was very healthy. Mm. I exercised all the time. I took all my you know, supplements and all that sort of stuff. I ate really well. And, and, you know, I was very hyper aware of cancer and was on the board of, and still am on the board of a a company, as as you know, in, in Boston and, you know, have all these sort of alternative treatments accessible to me. And yeah, there it was, I was going to acupuncture in Toronto, this amazing woman, who actually, if you want, okay, if you want to talk about talented Mr. Ripley, she is the woman who diagnosed Anthony Mengele. Oh, wow. So this is this extraordinary acupuncturist. And she said, I don't know what's wrong with you. I can't figure it out. You're so healthy. And eventually, uh, uh, a couple months later, I, I had a scan. I didn't have a scan. I went to a, a salivary gland specialist. In the UK? Stuck, yeah. He stuck his finger down my throat. He says, you have a tumor basically like the size of a Volkswagen at the base of your tongue. And I was living on ibuprofen for two years. And then he, I go get a scan and they say, yeah, I have a huge tumor. They, they did ultrasound and all that stuff. It had not metastasized. And Felicity found a great doctor in, in America at Mount Sinai. And I talked to him and then went there and got treatment. I had 35 days of super high dose radiation because the tumor was so big, they couldn't do surgery. And then of course you had the side effects that my father had of losing taste and salivary glands and ability to swallow. And they, gave you a feeding tube. Yep. Which my, which your dad had, he did. And, you know, funnily enough, I sort of 
I remember being with him on set. He was directing a movie called Duets that I was in at the time. Oh, yeah. He just oh, yeah. finished uh, Radiation. I don't know how he did it. How how could he do that? I don't know. I don't know. He was so diminished and so weak. And he was eating through a feeding tube while he was directing the film. He was 54 at the time. And I remember, you know, helping him with putting the syringe of, you know, high calorie liquid into it during lunch. And that's when I thought, what is in this can? And it's sort of when it started to crystallize the idea of, you know, what we, what we eat and how we nourish ourselves, like how it affects our wellness and our longevity. Yeah. And it's kind of where the idea for goop really started to percolate. Cause I thought this doesn't seem like ultimate healing, you know, putting a can of chemicals in a feeding tube. And, no, no. and I remember after the surgery, you know, we, he was just so intent on being normal. back to normal. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. Um, I remember you know, us going, he, he was like, let's go to Mr. Chow's. And I was like, you have staples in your neck. Like, are you crazy? And he insisted on us going and, and his relationship to healing, like it was so tied. Cause my father was like, you or I, he loved food and he loved wine and his healing in his mind, I think was like psychologically tracking with what he was able, you know, when he was able to eat, what he was able to eat would when he so what I and I wondered for you like because he was so demoralized by the period of time where he couldn't eat you know did you go through that did you get depressed or anything depressed isn't the word I mean I was more than depressed right. <laughs> yeah I never I never thought that I would well I never thought that I'd be able to there was one point where I never thought I'd be well again I never mm. thought I'd be able to eat properly again. Never thought I'd be able to sit with my family and friends again. My whole life, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, one of the most important ways I experience life is through my mouth. Mm -hmm. And which sounds gross, but it isn't. You just want to take it all in, you know? And it's it's so frightening when that when you realize that that is who you are mm. and that that might disappear that you might never be able again to experience that not not just experience it yourself for a selfish reason but also to share things with people you know mm. with the people that you you know your kids your family your friends or whatever you know of course so yeah it was really hard can i ask you a question about so when you say your dad was stage four mm. they grade things differently so when you say stage four meaning the tumor or he had metastasized the tumor was a stage four tumor because okay. it, i don't think it it what it didn't go anywhere else in his body until much later so we thought he was kind of in the clear and then but but because and i don't know if you have any of this but his salivary glands were completely destroyed from the radiation destroyed Years are destroyed. Only now it's three and a half years, and I still eat more slowly than ever. Mm -hmm. I can't. Sometimes I can eat meat. Sometimes I can't. You know, a chicken breast is still a bit of a struggle. You can't just take like a little 
slab of peanut butter and put it on a piece of piece of bread and eat it because you don't have enough mm-hmm. saliva, you know. So everything has to be very carefully sort of calibrated as, as far as moisture goes. It's very particular. Mm. And no spice, none. Nothing, nothing hot. No, because the burnt. mouth is like a looks like a baby's mouth. Yeah, but you can you can, it looks like from TV like you can drink wine. My father wine burned him terribly after his. Yeah, I, it's it took a while. Now I can drink red wine. The last mm, like eight months, maybe seven months, but it can't have a lot of tannins. The tannins are painful and you have to sometimes i do have to put ice in it which i know is horrible but okay. you have to yeah yeah but you know, listen you know when your dad went through what i went through as as we said it's unfortunate because it wasn't as advanced as it yeah. is now the radiation now is so targeted yeah. yes there's collateral damage without question but the idea of trying to resect something, the idea of trying to do surgery on somebody is, unless it's really, really small, they'll do it. Otherwise, they won't do it. Right. Because it's too damaging. Right. Yeah. The surgery is too damaging. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, it's all in these nerves and... It's, it's... Yeah. You know, the radiation is destroying stuff. But that, for the most part, things do sort of come back mm-hmm. but with surgery no. it's tough yes yeah, tough it's tough so was it just very gradual for you the road back to eating much more gradual than i thought right i thought i mean i guess i pride myself on not getting sick i don't mm-hmm. i'm very lucky that i'm i'm very healthy i don't really get colds or flu or you know mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. but this so this was a real blow to me having yeah and it was i thought oh i'll be better in six months no <laughs> no definitely not no i lost 30 pounds and yeah i lost you know i exercised constantly and, and i couldn't exercise and that was really hard so your muscles atrophy mm. and at my age they atrophy more quickly so what can you eat now? I mean, it's so funny because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know it from watching the show. Well, it I'm looks like actor. that's true. And yeah. <laughs> great point. Yeah. Yeah. So you've chosen yeah. not to show any of the struggle with eating. No, I, no, I chose not to because I didn't now I will, because now it's out. Right. Because the book publicly. is out. I didn't want to say anything publicly. I didn't think it was appropriate, but also I'm very polite. (laughs) Somebody serves me something, you know, I'll eat it even if I don't really like it. Mm. And, and then I'll try to eat as much of it as possible. And then I'll always make an excuse like, Oh, I, Oh no, I'm full or I've had the too much, no matter who it is. I'm, you know, but I think with the show, what's hard about the show sometimes is you're eating something and you know the person who's made it is right there it might not necessarily be the best thing in the world and i may I comment think i can tell it. i think i can tell when you really like something and when you're just being nice yeah mm-hmm. maybe i'm not 
as good an actor as I thought. No, you're an you're like world class, but I, <laughs> I was paying attention. <laughs> no, I yeah yeah there yeah I want to be. It's very hard. It's a very fine line because you want to be you want to yeah. be polite to the person who's worked on this thing and made this thing, but you're like. Uh, that do you notice that you like is your enjoyment of food different meaning not only the like in the biological sense like is anything diminished in terms of like taste smell enjoyment of food in your mouth because of what you've gone through or are you because of what you've gone through are you so relieved that you can taste smell chew that it's almost exacerbated the enjoyment of food kind of both in a way mm -hmm. i mean there is a fear like i said like i just went and did this job in boston and it was the first time that i've gone and done a job where i didn't have a, a place where i could cook i was able to go to restaurants and i knew there was an italian restaurant in the hotel so and I had looked at the menu in advance and knowing that I could eat that stuff because it has to be certain things. If it's like, oh, this is a Szechuan restaurant, up yeah, here, no. like, well, that's not going to happen, you right. know, or it's only, you know, it's all Polish food. You're like, great, but not now. So I felt comfortable and, and it worked like it, it, it mm. worked. Can you I mean, eat pasta? Like what's easy for you to eat? Pasta, pasta, yeah. yeah, yeah. I eat like so much pasta, it's ridiculous. The pasta, eggs, usually things that are softer, but now I can eat some meat, I can, you know, do all that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think what it did was, the weird thing is like now, my sense of taste and smell is heightened. Oh, amazing. So I can taste things that I could never taste before. And like I can different smell notes or? Yes or density of flavors or everything, wow. everything. It's weird. So I went from one extreme to the other. Oh, wow. Everything was, had been nullified before in a way. And now it's like, I can smell things like a mile away. Wow. For better or worse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's good. It, it may, it just makes me more and more interested in it. Mm. Yeah. But what can I can I ask you a question? I mean, yeah. you're sure go if you really want. I to. just want to know. I haven't talked to you for so long. I know. I, you know, what is it that triggers this desire for food and taste in you? What is that? Well, that's what I've been pondering since I knew I was going to interview you because it's so specific to like a type of person, like a certain persona, right? It's like, like we were saying before, some people, some people don't really care. They think of food as fuel. Some people, yeah, yeah. they quite, they quite yeah. like it. You know, they, they're, it's fine. Some people are like, oh, this is, this is really delicious. Like I'm, I would like to make this again, or I would eat, eat at this restaurant again. Right. And then there are some people that are like, if I, maybe next time, if I put another anchovy filet in the sauce and I, <laughs> You know, I, yeah. I don't let the garlic get brown at all. Yeah. You know, and I'm that person. And I think you're, you're that person. I think for me, there's like the unhealthy 
relentless pursuit of perfection, which is something that I've always battled my whole life, that nothing's Mm -hmm. ever good enough. Right. Coupled with this incredible, visceral, it's like, if you're eating something that's the most fucking delicious thing you're you've ever eaten, everything's okay. Like life cannot be sublime and beautiful in that moment. It's such a relief from all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, as you said, it's so multi-sensorial and you're so alive and in your body, it's like a meditation. You're so present. You can't be anywhere else. And I just love that so much. Yes. Because it is, now that you say that and describe it beautifully, it is, well, just when you're, you know, when you're acting mm-hmm. and you're in that thing, mm-hmm. it just happens. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And it goes away. Yeah. I mean, the, the hard part about acting is, is waiting to act. Unless like you're I'm, in a play. Yeah, unless you're in a play. But it's those moments in a play when it's like, it's all there mm. and it's great. And the rest of it is just, <laughs> just sort of waiting for that. It's waiting for that thing. But that's right. what the pre- preparation of, like I made tonight, I made a bolognese tonight for my in-laws. I do it different ways all the time. Okay. So the original recipe is, <clears throat> from is in a great book by Pellegrino Artuzzi, who who compiled the first ever cookbook of recipes in, throughout all of Italy. And so the original recipe has no tomato. It's made with veal and it's onion. You know, it's so fucking simple. It's like stupid, a little broth, carrots. That's the one, yeah, that in the show. Yeah, like it's blonde, like it's a, yeah, it's like it's fucking simple. And then it was augmented after that. Tonight I made it, I only had beef. I had, you know, whatever. And then I did put a little bit of milk in it tonight to sweeten it. Cause I felt it was a little, just it was a little acidy and it was great. You know, beef from M&S, you know. Mm, I know it, it well. Yeah, it was great. And do you do... Did you, did you do tomatoes in it? Did you do, do a lot? I did do tomato, yes, because the beef had a, a fair amount of fat, but actually the veal doesn't have fat, but, but that's a very specific kind of taste and recipe. Mm. So, but also they put in, in that original recipe, they put basically what is pancetta. Right. In it, which fat. gives it that fat. But I knew that my in-laws would like that sort of more, tomato thing, which I like too, frankly. I like it if it's a really long cooked sauce. Yeah. 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 You have to. Yeah. But the original sauce is cooked literally like 10 minutes. Yeah. It's nothing. I, I don't think I've, I also spent a long, many, many years not eating any meat or eating right. sort of fish and then some birds and fish. So for a long time, I was only making bolognese with turkey, which please don't, don't die on me now. I won't, I won't, I won't. Do you eat meat now? So I've started eating a bit more meat in the last few years. And I, you know, I try to eat 
really good quality kind of grass finish, all that kind of thing. That's the thing about England too. Yeah, I know. I know. And Europe in general. And, but I, I have more learning to do in terms of all the different, like I haven't had a ton of real bolognese and I haven't had, you know, I'm just trying to learn now how to cook steak because I never did it. And it's, it's actually a lot harder than it looks like to get it fucking perfect. So yeah, it is. And it has to be the right steak. And, you know, you know, it has to be the right steak. Obviously it has to be, as you say, raised and reared properly. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, well, it's destroying everything, destroying the planet and destroying those animals in a a horrible way but it is the thing about england is that they're for the most part and it's unfortunate about brexit but they they have been rearing animals properly centuries and centuries yeah yeah do you like being married to a brit i love it i love it because she's a brit but she's also i don't know she's great where did you meet at Emily's wedding at That's... George Clooney's house. Oh my God! Can can I know more about this? No, Gwyneth. I'm sorry. Oh, fine. No, sorry. Don't 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 pry. Don't pry. Okay. <laughs> no, no. We um. I took my kids and my stepdaughter on a vacation. This was uh, a year after, more than a little over a year after my wife had passed away, and we went to. Italy and we were there for like three and a half weeks and we were traveling around but we had a place in Tuscany that was our base and Emily was getting married she said come to the wedding so I went to the wedding for a weekend and I met Felicity I had met Felicity at the premiere of the Devil Wears Prada and Kate was alive then and I actually have a picture of Kate and Felicity together oddly enough they talked about books all all night and then I met her at the wedding and you know, then I was coming to do Captain America in in England and straight from then, that, straight from that vacation and we had dinner and then, mm. you know, she, then she stalked me. I love it. Yeah. I, w- I would have too if I were her in her shoes. Yeah, of course. Yes. Because, yeah. Yeah. What a catch. Exactly. Yeah. An, older, an older widower with three children. Are wow. you vaping? Were you, were you vaping? No, I was just writing something down. Oh, I thought... <laughs> no, I sadly, <laughs> sadly, smoking's off the table for me. Yeah, no, no, not sadly. No. I mean, well, wouldn't it be great though if it wasn't bad for you oh. at all? I'll tell you, I do miss. I don't miss the the after smell of it. No, I know on the fingers. No, I mean, it's just like gross, and but I did like a lucky strike. Mm. I love that. Heaven. I love that, and yeah. also a cigar. But mm. then after a cigar, I always had to like take a shower, and everything it was kind of gross. But the cigar it's, itself was so satisfying. It's aggressive, the whole thing, like from a smell standpoint. But yeah, I don't know. There's something yeah. about the burning and the smoke, and I know. I know, but it's know. it's. Um, and then we 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 go for all these candles and scents and all these things that have, you know, that tobacco thing because we want it. I know it's true. It's so true. We want it. It's part of us. Yeah. Was it hard to 
write about? Am I the most boring not, guest you've ever? Not at all. Fucking Jesus. You're the hottest and the least yeah, boring. You're insane. You know that the whole internet is obsessed with you and your martini yes. making. Well, and yeah, they like, need to get out more. Everyone okay. thinks you're hot, Stanley. It's not yeah, just me. Yeah. Okay? When like, this is a thing. You're very kind. Thank you. Yes, no, I'm excited about it. It's great. At, at my age, you know, I'll take what I can get. So the impetus to write the book came from what? Had you been, had it been percolating for a while and then the illness sort of made you man like how did it why no it was it was simon and schuster both of them simon and schuster they they had published the book that fee and i had done a cookbook and they had reissued the book that i had done many years ago with my parents and then they were like they said you know would you write a memoir and i and i said no i i, I really have nothing to say but I have, they said, well, uh, you know, about food and blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I have written things about food that I've kept, you know, just sort of, I make notes all the time. And, but I, I, I said, I always thought I'd write a book. There was this, there's this really beautiful book by Bresson called Notes of a Cinematographer, which mm -hmm. is just sort of these, these passages and these sort of musings about filmmaking and directing and blah, blah, blah. And I always thought that I would write a book kind of like that. There's also this book called The Treasures of the Italian Table that was written by actually a guy who was a wine expert. It's a really, really beautiful book. And he focuses on like Parmigiano and he focuses on this and this and this. These beautiful little chapters. And I thought, well, I'll just write something like that. And they said, no. I said, they said, could it be a memoir? And I was like, oh. And then I started writing it, and then they helped me make it cohesive. It mm -hmm. was not because of the cancer or anything. The cancer was, I suppose the cancer was in some way, a, a cat. I guess it was a catalyst in the mm -hmm. end, but I didn't maybe know that at the time. Mm -hmm. And Felicity was great, obviously. She's a literary agent. So she was. I'd send her everything meaning from my office in the garden to the house. And, and and she'd go, yes, but what about this story? And I'd say, oh, yeah, well, I don't remember that. And she'd say, remember you told me the story about the blah, blah, blah. And then she helped me make all those connections, as did the editor. So I, I you know, I just, I never thought that it would make sense, but Yes, it does. That's fabulous. I'm so glad you wrote it. Thanks. Okay. Thanks. What? What are your favorite restaurants in London? Okay. Well, Riva, which is right in Barnes, where I live. Have never been there. I know. It's where, like, so many chefs go. What's it called? Uh, Riva. Oh, Riva. Yes, I've been there. Yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I love that place. They've got the yeah. fried pecorino with the, uh, yeah. the um, mushrooms. and oh yeah. My God. yeah, he's around the corner. Oh, God, I love the, that that's place. That's where all the chefs go. I love Riva. Okay. Yeah. I love Riva's that. great. I love Locatelli. 
I love, I'm only naming Italian restaurants, but I love, oh gosh, what's that Japanese place? Fuck. Is it called, it's not called dinner. That's, yeah. That, is that, that's Heston's place, which I love. But it's called like. What is it? It's like I, a little. I want to say it's a word like that. It's like signs or. Yeah, something really, really simple. Yeah, that's a great yeah. place. Yeah. yeah, I just think the thing is here, there are so many great fucking restaurants. Yeah. And, and people don't like they don't know it. They don't get it. They think that British food. My favorite thing is when Americans go oh, British food. And you're like, and mm-hmm. American food would be what exactly? So, yeah, I mean, particularly in London, you have this incredible influx, you know, for centuries of immigrants and, you know, and all of their food. It's just, it's amazing. I, I agree. I think it's one yeah. of the best. Do you, are there places that you love here? Well, I was thinking about it and it's been so long since I've lived there and since I've been able to travel over there and bring my kids over to see their yeah, yeah, yeah. granny and everything. But I, I love all the ones you mentioned. And I also, I love a lot of the Indian places there that are. Yes. Yes. There's great. There's Rasoi Vineet Bhatia, which is in that little townhouse in Chelsea. That's really good. It's sort of a fancy. I don't know that. And there's the one that's like, oh gosh, where is it in Belgravia? Why can't I remember the names or anything? It's like, uh, everything is kind of grilled, but all of these great tandoori. Oh, you mean Roka? No, that's that's the Japanese one. Yeah, that's yeah, good yeah. I like that one. So I'm- good. But there's also Gymkhana, which is great. Yes, that's India. delicious. Okay, great. Really good food there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, all right. I'll Thanks. let you off the hook. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Stanley Tucci. I hope you pick up a copy of his beautiful memoir, Taste My Life Through Food. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.